Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of What's Good. Today's guest, this week joining us, the GM head coach of Grizz Gaming, that's the Memphis Grizzlies uh, 2K affiliate, Lang Whitaker. Lang, thanks for being here. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Hey Lang, I need to start off with the idea of working in esports. We're in the midst of a pandemic. When this started, and I'm sure you've read these articles too, people were saying this is the time for esports. You can't leave your house. You need to kind of sequester and quarantine. This is going to be the chance for esports to kind of take off. I know you're part of it. It's already been on the rise. What have you seen? Has this been an opportunity? Was it already trending in that direction? Yeah, I mean, it was already trending in that direction. I think, you know, it was esports was uh, projected to be a $2 billion uh, industry by a year ago, and it surpassed that. Like things. If you weren't into esports already, you were behind the curve. That's what we always tell people because it, it's huge. Like the number one most searched ticket on StubHub in 2019 was the League of Legends finals, not the World wow. Series, not the Super Bowl. Uh, so esports is gigantic. It's just I think people like probably our age and up are kind of not in that bubble and don't understand it, don't know what it is. Um, and people are a lot of people are like, I want to watch people play video games. How does that work? Um, but it, esports is gigantic. And so, you know, our guys, the, the Grizz Gaming guys, the 2K League teams were all sort of in market already when the pandemic started and when everyone kind of got quarantined. So um, we all sort of quarantined as a as a team um each team in their separate cities um they kind of was their own family unit and they all sheltered in, in place and we ended up having a, a virtual season um from different cities uh you know in the past years we would fly to new york every week and play our games in person um which was a great experience when you're standing there yelling at somebody and you know across the stage and there's lights and a tv stuff and uh, but be able to do it this way ended up you know our, most of our games are on espn2 this year because of that um there was no content being made by all these different sports leagues so all these sports outlets needed stuff and um for us to be able to do it w turned out to be pretty big i think for us and for the league and and for all the, the guys involved it was pretty wild to to see yourself on espn week after week after week and uh, to be on the crawl on the bottom of the ticker to have your scores up there and stuff like that so um it, it was tough, you know, it was stressful for everybody, for all the guys, for, for me, for, for um, guys not being able to go home and be with their families during all this stuff. And, you know, these are young guys. We, we had three 20-year-olds. Um, but I, I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, having gone through it all, it, it was it was great for, for the 2K League and for Grizz Gaming. And, um, you know, we our season ended a week ago, so we're all still kind of like uh, decompressing right now and, and trying to get catch our breath from what the last six months have been. And you're exactly right from a sense of TV coverage. Never before did these uh, e-sports, e these 2K competitions, get this sort of level of, yeah. of love right from ESPN2 and, and from the crawl. And so I imagine that has increased at least what you're hearing word of mouth. Are you hearing from more people that are finally saying, oh, this is what this is. I get it. I'm into it. What's been the reaction? Yeah, for sure. I actually got um... – I got a text the other night from a buddy of mine who I went to high school with and we're still friends. And it said on the, I just got a text and it said, uh, Grizz gaming falls to Laker gaming two to one or something. And like, he has no idea what the two K league is. He doesn't know <laughs> video games or anything. And I wrote back with like question marks and he goes, I just saw it on the crawl on ESPN. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, so, I mean, I think it's definitely reaching another level of awareness and sort of penetration um, among people out there. You know, the last couple of years, it's been more so like we would be at the airport and like the TSA guys would stop 
guys on the team and say, hey, I saw you score or whatever the other night. Um, you know, the past two years, all our games were on Twitch and on YouTube. Um, and for a certain generation, those are just sort of like websites. But for mm -hmm. uh, the generation of people, who, these younger people who play video games, like that's their cable TV. That's all they're on is Twitch and YouTube. They don't even have you know, a, a cable system. So I think for a lot of people, um, in some ways, like being on ESPN, it takes you to an audience that doesn't watch esports. Uh, you know, people who watch esports don't generally turn to regular television to, to get updates and, and find stuff about esports. So uh, I, I think it was pretty interesting from that standpoint. We, we, it was kind of a bit of legitimacy by being on the platform that young people don't watch uh, but uh it did definitely i think kind of reach new levels and and kind of find new audiences that we had never uh been able to get in front of before now i've watched some of this i'm not nearly anywhere near immersed in it as as you are and i was curious about the role of gm coach in esports yeah. as opposed to you're obviously well versed in in traditional basketball if i think back on kind of coaching in video games the first memory that comes to mind is kind of being in the same room with a bunch of friends and someone's playing Tomb Raider and we're all giving advice yeah. on which room to get into or where to go. And everyone's had that experience. Take it up a level to what you're doing. What, what does a coach do in that role? How much are you involved in what's actually going on in the moment? Yeah, I mean, um, so 2K is you're playing five on five. So we have five guys on our team. Each guy plays a position just like in the NBA. So we have a point guard, shooting guard, you know, center. Um, so we're running plays on offense and on defense. We're trying to, to uh, find inefficiencies on the other team. We're trying to figure out what play is going to work at this moment. So for the most part, I'm, I'm on a headset just like those guys are, and um, I'm trying to help them figure out ways to be successful. So I'm saying, hey, why don't we run a two-step here? Look, I think we can get a backdoor on this guy on the corner. Um, look, they're playing. A, they're, they're kind of zoning up up top, so maybe you can look for a three-pointer. Little things like that. I also try to keep track of, like, timeouts, personal fouls, that kind of thing, remind guys, um, clock management situations, that sort of stuff. Um, so uh, there's also times where I have to yell at them and be like, hey, you got to play better. Or there's times where I'm calming people down and being like, you know, hey, let, let's take a breath here. Let's all – we're going to be okay. They went on an 8-0 run. It's going to be all right. Um, so there's a little bit of all that stuff. Uh, you know, in the past years, I, I was on the stage with the guys walking sort of behind them. Uh, this year, because of the pandemic stuff, we were all using this app called Discord. So the guys, I could see their screens, and I was on my headset – I was in my kitchen half the time um, <laughs> at my house and they were playing in their apartments, but it was all like we were in the same room together because we were all on headsets talking to each other and I could watch what they were doing on their screen. So it was pretty surreal. Um, as a coach, yeah, for the most part, it's, it's like being a coach in any other situation. And then the GM part, like, you know, we have six players on our roster, so I have to deal with like, you know, who do we draft? Who do we retain? Who do we, um, uh, sign in the off season where are they going to live uh, you know all that stuff the other day i was uh pushing some of these gaming chairs out of the, the we got them from the guys apartments and we're bringing them back to our facility and i was pushing them off the elevator i had two chairs balanced and like a, a cpu and one of them and i was thinking I don't know if Zach Kleinman, who's the GM of the Grizzlies, I was like, I don't know if Zach has to do this stuff. <laughs> like, does Zach have to carry a pallet of water up here? Because, like, that's – I end up, so I kind of end up doing a little bit of everything. Um, but I, I have, I have no, uh, no problem doing it. It's fun doing it. I mean, in fairness, I did just read an article about Daryl Morey rebounding in the bubble for, for yeah. the Rockets. So everyone is being asked to do a little bit of everything. Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting, as we're talking about this role and, and kind of – 
the older crowd getting into esports. And you know, as a broadcaster, right, part of me thinks, well, I need to really figure this out because it is yeah. it is becoming so much more popular. There's obviously more opportunity. Uh, it's getting more and more coverage. As you've worked into this, was it a thing that you were already very much into, and then an opportunity opened up, or did you say to yourself, "This is the future. I better get into this and understand it." A little bit of both. I mean, before this job, I, I worked for NBA TV um, at NBA.com, and I was there for four years. I lived in New York City, um, and my wife and I were kind of at the point where we were ready to get out of New York and do something else. I'm, I'm from Atlanta originally. My wife is also. We wanted to be able to live somewhere where we had a yard, and our son was four at the time. And so we were, we'd been in New York 15 years. We were just ready to move on. Um, so my contract was up with Turner. So we were going to just figure out something else to do in New York for like a year or two and then move and figure out somewhere else to go. Um, and then my wife was like, you know, you have a lot of followers on Twitter. You should just put it out there that, that you're a free agent to see what happens. So I did. And like an hour later, the Grizzlies called and, um, wow. and they were like, Hey, let's talk about this uh, Grizz gaming thing. So as far as the esports go, like I really didn't know that much about esports. Um, but while I was at NBA uh, Digital, I did a podcast. They had me do a podcast with Rick Fox, um, who played on the Lakers, and yeah. they and they were like, "Hey, I didn't know Rick at all. He didn't know me, but we ended up becoming really good friends through it." And over the time we were doing the podcast, Rick started an esports uh, organization called Echo Fox, and he started it. In the first year, they just got hammered every single week and i just made fun of him all the time and <laughs> said they were the lakers of esports and all this stuff but he grew the thing into this huge thing and it got valued at like you know tens of millions of dollars and it was this giant thing so when the grizzlies called me i called rick first call i made and i was like i don't really know the esports side of all this stuff what do you think i'd always played video games i knew nba 2k i'd reviewed them for new york times and other places when i before nba um, digital and rick was like you know he goes, you, you know the basketball side of it. You can figure out the NBA 2K side of it. But as far as the eSports side of it, like nobody knows this stuff. The whole thing's four years old. The whole thing's five years old. He goes, you'll figure that out as you go. Like, But for I think a lot of the people who are getting into eSports right now, um, especially at the level it is right now, like nobody's really familiar with it. Nobody really understands how it works, what it is. So I knew NBA 2K. And as I tell the guys all the time, I, I'm like, look, I, I know the NBA better than they do. They know the video game better than I do. And somewhere between the two of us, we can make this thing work. And that's kind of how it's, how it's gone for us the last couple of years. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I love the idea of just putting out a message, right? And something coming to you. And you hit on all these things that you had done, right? You kind of, you know, we'll talk about it more, right? But writing for GQ, New York Times, Slam, I think a lot of people still, still know you very well associated yeah. with that, deservedly so. You've written books, all that stuff whether you knew it or not, right, kind of set the table for this for opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's how the Grizzlies knew who I was, you know, when I put it out there, that they had seen my work and knew what I was doing. And, you know, as you said, like putting it out there, that's the scary part, right? Like you, you don't want to be the one who has to tweet, I need, I, I don't have a job right now. Um, I was actually talking to a bunch of people in New York and kind of had some things lined up so we could stay another year or two. But as my wife said, she was like, you know, put it out there because you never know, like, what's going to happen. Um, and you know, it happened. So like, I, that's one thing I tell people a lot of times is like, it, it it's a little scary and you, you, you don't want to be the one putting it out there like that, but it, it worked out great for me. Well, it's, it's interesting because you've done so many different things and you look back at your resume and even while you've been seemingly doing one thing, you're laying in another yeah. thing, right? So you're writing a book about your favorite baseball team while you're writing basketball articles regularly and talking about it on television. It reminded me of this current time. I think people that have had to kind of press pause on life or, or they've been laid off or, you know, something 
terrible like that's happened. They've really kind of gone into this like self-evaluation mode of, yeah. do I like what I'm doing? Do I want to be doing this? Should I do something else? It feels like, and you tell me different, you've n- not that you haven't stayed places a long time, but you have been able to move around and kind of try different things. Has that been just an internal thought of like, I need to get into some different stuff? Has there been like a external pressure, like to diversify? Where does that ability to kind of be in a couple of different things at once come from? Um, a couple of things come to mind. I, I remember reading something 20 years ago, a long time ago from James Brown, the, who's on CBS now, sure. right? Or Fox. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember reading something from him a long time ago where he talked about the importance of being versatile and being able to do lots of different things. And it always stuck with me. You know, I started as a music writer for the weekly paper in Atlanta because that was the job I could get. They needed someone to do it. And I cared about music and, um, and did that, but I always wanted to do sports. So when I ended up at slam, um, I was able to kind of do different things on the side. Like, like you said, I wrote a book about being a Braves fan and um, you know, part of that was just boredom. Like you, you write about basketball every single day for seven years and you want to write about other things. Um, part of that's curiosity. I think that's an important quality to have is just being curious about the world around you and, and different things and learning and exploring. Um, you know, at, at some point in the middle of all that stuff, I taught myself how to cook really just by watching TV shows. And then when I was at, GQ. I was the NBA writer there for a couple years. And then when I went to NBA Digital, um, I was exclusive to them as far as the NBA. So I couldn't do that for GQ anymore. And they were like, we'd we'd love to have you still contribute. What would you want to do? And I said, well, I've been cooking a lot. And I like kind of, what if we did a column like cooking for guys who don't know how to cook? So I started doing that kind of on the side and, and, you know, things kind of come up on the side of the writing about video games. I, I like playing video games. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, I think just about being willing to do it. Even when this pandemic started, you know, here with Grand City Media, I cover, I write columns about uh, the Grizzlies, but also college football, rest, whatever's going on in Memphis. Uh, I wrote a column a couple weeks ago about how much I like wearing Crocs. So <laughs> it's pretty free reign. I can kind of sure. do what I want to do. But when the, like the second or day of the quarantine, maybe the second or third day of the quarantine, I, I posted a photo of my dinner and I used the hashtag uh, quarantine and my boss texted me like right away. And he was like, do you think you could do like cooking videos with these things? And I was like, I mean, we can't have a camera crew in my house, but I, I mean, we'll figure out a way to do it, I guess. So, but we use my work iPhone. My wife films it. Um, I send all the files to the video team. Um, Sam, this one of the editors there, edits it all together. And we've done over a million views on Facebook now um, wow. since the, since this started, like in the last four months. It's just, I mean, it, it wasn't like intentional, really. Like it was just something to do, and we're trying to make content and find something people like. But you know, we we sort of stumbled into this thing that people really like. So, in the midst of the last four months where I'm running the 2k team. I've also been cranking out these videos with that. Um, I, I just think it's important to, to do as do is be as versatile as you can, but also like um, if you're a, a content person, if you're a creative person, I always tell, tell uh, young writers this too, like the bar to doing it is, is, almost non-existent like you can go set up your own tumblr for free you can set up whatever you want a youtube channel all that stuff and use your phone like it's so easy to do this stuff like you don't have the excuse anymore of, well i don't have the resources available to me um you know do it if you want to do it do it and i tell young writers this a lot like um if you want to be the good at it do it every day right for whatever you do whatever your job is whatever your passion is just do it every single day so if you want to be a writer, great, write every day, seven days a week, even if it means like no one's going to see it, even if it's like a longer email to my dad or something, I, I try to 
spend some time every day writing and, and I try to make it good. I, it, you know, I make sure the punctuation is correct and I um, don't take any shortcuts for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But I think being able to like express myself in these different ways um, has been good for me. And, it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say there was some grand plan to, <laughs> to, to do all this stuff. It just sort of happens that way. But, you know, I feel like those opportunities have presented themselves and I was able to take advantage of them because of the, the work I put in. I think most people that work in sports media outside of the rare guy, like a Joe Buck, right, who got a job with right. Fox young and then has just done that, right? Most of yeah. us have a weird journey, right? A kind of circuitous path yeah. and you – you couldn't have explained it when you were 22 and you're like, I guess this is what I do now. Right. But here right. it is. I want to go back to some of the things you were talking about. I have no doubt you're a good cook. I know you're a good writer. Some of these things though, don't get the traction. I would guess if people don't like you and the, and yeah. the personality that you put forward at what point, and maybe it was slam or somewhere else. Did you realize like, I'm going to be me and people like me the way that I'm, sharing my point of view and my personality on things. No, that's interesting. When I was at Slam, um, this is like the early 2000s, like my, my, I was hired to, to basically start slamonline.com. Like they had a website, but there was hardly anything on it. No one really knew what the web was at that point. Um, so we started the website and then we were just posting stuff from the, from the magazine on the website, a couple articles a day, that kind of thing. Um, and then we realized like I, we needed something new every single day. Like how do you get people to come back and check it out every day? So I started what was basically a blog. I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't called a blog, but I just started writing every day. And the more I would write, um, the more my personal life would, would kind of seep into what I was writing about because, like, you have to have something to write about, right? So I would write about when we got a dog or when we, you know, when 9-11 happened, I, I, was, I was writing then. So um, there was stuff just from your personal life that, that would be in there every single day, and, and you start to kind of develop a bond with people. And people, um, you know, every Friday I would, I would say Friday because we had this uh, custodian who worked with us who would walk around and yell, Friday, every Friday. <laughs> so even now I tweet it every Friday morning, and people, still say like oh i remember that from slam online uh, you know i didn't really intend to do that stuff but it it you develop this sort of like real uh relationship with your readers and with the people who are following you um you know and i i don't try to like have a a, a, a fake persona like I, I try to be me as much as i can i also try to like i've always just kind of like felt like um I'm going to be me as much as I can, but like, I don't really want to hammer people with politics and things like that. Like I kind of keep it to basketball and personal life and that kind of stuff and try to make it fun because people are going to read my stuff or, or read my work. And for the most part, they, they just want an escape from stuff. Um, that's changed a little bit the last few years with me, but when I started, I was just trying to like give people an outlet and give people a break from everyday life and, and just try to make it fun. I, I actually, Howard Stern, um, talked to them about that in some interview I read a long time ago where like he's just trying to entertain people like people tune in and they want to be entertained so I just try to make it entertaining as much as I can and have fun with it and um, I've developed a lot of like friendships with people that who are readers who I, I now consider my friends uh, because of that and I think I'm pretty lucky because of that you got into it I'm I'm sure as a fan of the NBA and loving basketball right and then as you get yeah. more and more immersed in it and now you work for a team uh, in various capacities. And, and, and I remember this working in like sports television production where I was a fan of the team yeah. that we needed highlights for. 
but the job takes over. Like I stopped caring if the team that I grew up loving won because the newscast starts and I need to show the home run or the dunk and I don't care how it happens. And so how, how have you maintained your love for basketball as you've gotten more entrenched in the business of it? Yeah, I mean, when I was at Slam, and I was always upfront about it when I wrote stuff, I, 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 I cheered for the Hawks. I was a Hawks fan growing yeah. up in Atlanta, and even when I was at Slam for a long time, I would, if there was, you know, between writing about the Hawks and writing about another team, I would always write about the Hawks on a day-to-day blog-type thing. Um, and I had a lot of friends who worked for the team and got to know people, and, and, you know, one of my first jobs when I was in Atlanta was writing for, like, the Hawks. Uh, magazine they did for like their season ticket holder type things Um, so I knew people there and it was fun to kind of have a rooting interest in something but then when I was by the time I got to like NBA TV NBA.com like I I sort of just wanted the whole league to do well right because you just want the whole thing to be healthy and I cheered for everybody basically Uh, but it's been really fun for me working for the Grizzlies to actually like it's the first time I've worked for a team and, and like it's fun to have an invested um feeling with it you know like you really want the team to win every night and, and when you lose it, it feels like you're on the team it feels terrible um, I think the thing a lot of people don't realize is like when we lose a game you know I, I get out of here at 10 30 11 something like that come in the next morning at eight o'clock and the, the parking lot's half full like everyone's here doing their job the next day win or lose like you got to keep going and, and you got to keep working at it um, it's also been fun the last year because we got John Morant in the draft and uh and the grizzlies have been really good uh kind of sooner than anyone thought they would be i i thought a lot about actually this kind of topic the last couple of days because luka Doncic had a huge game the other night and you know the hawks drafted him and traded him on draft night for trey young who's been great but i could have had luka and sure. i thought about it like in the context of man if i was still like rooting for the hawks actively on a daily basis this would kill me <laughs> and a friend a guy who, a reader who i'm friends with on facebook posted something about all this on his facebook page and i just wrote go grizzlies in the comments because <laughs> <laughs> now my my uh my rooting interests are decided now so yeah look it's it's hard right there's there's certainly and some people still very much believe this right that old school uh journalism philosophy right no no cheering in the press box right you don't you don't root for the teams you love i've always been torn on that obviously that was the way that i was taught as well but the only reason any of us are in this is because we loved a team at one point and so i i find it hard to separate it out and say i can't i can't feel a feeling about this team that i love because i have to play it down the middle well you also can tell like that was one of the things early on when i was writing at slam like you can tell if somebody likes a team or doesn't like a team when they're writing you can tell you can there's bias there and they try to hide it as much as they can but and i used to call people out about it all the time when i was writing for slam like you'd read a column by you know bob ryan and you'd be like well of course he wants the celtics to win right like he i mean he but i'm sure he'll say no i'm sure he's uh, trying to be a journalist and be down the middle but you know and the more you as you know the more you develop relationships with these people like you root for them as much as you do for the team you know you want your friend who works in the pr department of this team to do well and you want them to have a good experience or um and with slam you know we were lucky enough to get to know a lot of these players pretty well um and so i would root for carmelo anthony as much as i would root for whatever team he was on at the time you know and guys like that um so i but i also feel like to your point 
everyone roots for a team at some point and, and maybe you're trying to hide it and say there's this veneer of journalism i call it capital j journalism like yeah. we're serious <laughs> you know this is serious journalism yeah. but like like I, I just didn't want to hide it like I, i'm gonna be real about it this is who i root for and not root for it and you know people say when they refer to the team as we a lot of times because i can actually do that now because i actually <laughs> my checks say memphis grizzlies on it so uh, thinking back to the to the to the days of Slam when you were there, and you know yeah. pre Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and Players oh. Tribune, and and you tell me if it's different. It felt a little bit to me that like Slam was like an alternate like area for basketball coverage that was not it was mainstream, but it was not mainstream. It was going to give you like a different a different take. Was that a conscious focus? Did you feel that too? That it was kind of not exactly in the ESPN New York Times mold. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you could go to the games and look in the press box. You could definitely pick out which guys were the guys from Slam, which guys were the guys from the New York Times, who was from ESPN. Yeah. I mean, we were the ones who were wearing, you know, jerseys and hats and that kind of stuff, and <laughs> and we were the guys the the players liked to talk to, you know, because for the most part, like I think they recognized like that we were actually like fans of the league and fans of basketball, and we cared about the game because um, we would have so much stuff in that magazine just like minute little things about the nba what shoes guys were wearing what song was playing when this happened like we, we were really 100 um, invested in basketball because all of us grew up just giant nba fans sort of in the shadow of michael jordan in that 80s era when we were all kids and you know at the time i was at slam from like 2001 to 2012 but that, that first seven eight years like i think all of us on staff were about the same age we had all grown up watching basketball we had all grown up um listening to hip-hop and it, you could just tell like it was a really good fit the nba exploded and we were kind of there to cover it and you know the players they respected us i think a lot for that like lebron we, we wrote about him when he was a freshman in high school and um, for the most part a lot for a lot of those this is before instagram like you said so for the most part a lot of those guys the first time they were ever covered nationally was when they were in high school, they were in slam at some level, you know? So, and they remembered that and they would be loyal and had this loyalty toward us. When LeBron had the decision and went to the, to the Miami heat, he did two interviews afterwards. He did ESPN and me for slam. Um, you know, so like those guys would a lot of times remember that and, and come to us with before players tribune, they would trust us to help tell their stories and know we, we cared as much as they did about them and about the league and about getting all that stuff. Right. And now, right, they have their own platforms, right? Like kind of sure. like horses left the barn a little bit, right, about, yeah. about there being an outlet that would be trusted more than they trust themselves to write it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember we had a photo shoot or something happened in like 2008, 9, 10, and we were talking about the mechanics of it. And somebody was saying, well, take a video camera and we can shoot some video to use for the website and stuff. And, and I remember bringing it up. I was like, you know, hey, at some point we got to decide, like, are we a magazine company or are we going to be like – a content company that makes a magazine but also has a website and twitter and all that stuff didn't exist and, and slam's done a great job the last few years um uh, of really kind of pivoting to become like a, a, a basketball content company um doing all sorts of stuff you know that team Lamelo ball played on in in australia or new zealand yeah. this last year really, yeah. They, yeah they had a slam jersey sponsorships like slam was thought uh, they were i thought that was so cool i saw it the other night during the draft you could see the slam on his jersey because they smartly realize like if the mellow's on this team people are going to be paying attention for a while um and and like all the same social media accounts are just through the roof like they've done a really good job of kind of understanding i think um probably a lot quicker than some of these other like kind of old school magazines have done and understanding what it what it means to be a media company in this day and age 
that's genius uh, call by them because you're right. Every uh, piece of game footage that they're going to go, yep. if they can't track down the Lithuanian league that he was playing in, right, they're going to they're going to go to this Australian footage. You mentioned sneakers. Um, outside of say Jordans, was you know if we go back in the '80s, '90s, was there a pair of sneakers that you were proud to have owned? Basketball shoes. I'm trying to think of what I wore in high school. I, you know, the I, the shoe that I know that like the two shoes that really like kind of turned me onto the whole thing was. I was in elementary school and I had like one of those Athlon or whatever it was like pre previews, you know, and there was an ad for the Adidas forum in there. And I remember like seeing it and just staring at it for like an hour and memorizing all the details of the shoe and what it meant and all that stuff. I never had a pair. And then, um, uh, when I was like pretty young, one of the first games I saw was uh, Georgia Tech against Maryland, and Lynn Bias was playing for Maryland. And he had on the Nike uh, Destroyers, which had like the big word Nike across the heel. Yeah. And I, I noticed that as much as I noticed the uniform or anything else, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to get a pair of those shoes. I don't think I ever did, but the, I remember seeing that early on and, and just becoming just sort of aware of that stuff early on. Um, I was never the person who like, you know, now they're a lot of people buy shoes and just put them in the closet. There, mm. it's like an asset, really, more than anything. Like I actually wear them, and, and I care about the shoes I wear, and I try to take care of them a little bit. But I, I'm not the person who hoards them away and and flips them and tries to get a good deal on them. Um, but I've I don't know why I've just always cared about shoes for as long as I've been around. My wife doesn't care at all um, <laughs> about them, but I do care. And uh, so it, being at Slam, that was another reason. Like, it was just, like, such a good fit for all of us who were there. We all cared about sneakers. We were all those kids who grew up, you know, wanting Air Jordans and stuff. I bought a pair of Air Jordan 3s, I think, at, at like, Foot Locker when I was a kid. And that was one pair that I was like, oh, wow, I, I got the shoes I want. So I was excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still drawn into, like, a Champs or, like, a yeah. I, whatever the stores are, they're still left now. I was thinking of two that are maybe even defunct, like a Feet First or you know one yeah. of those. But uh, uh, I can ne- I definitely recall having the Sean Kemp Reebok Kamikazes yeah, yeah. that were like straight up moon boots. But I yeah. immediately right down to the park with them. Could barely get them to move because they were so heavy. But that <laughs> was sure. like a thrill to wear those shoes. I had a pair of the Nike ones, the the David Robinson Nike ones that had a pump in it. And it had like an actual pump. You had to like stick it in and pump it. And you, I could not move at all in those things. They were horrible, but they were cool to have, I guess, at the time, you know? So I had a pair of Converse weapons in middle school that were pretty cool too. I had the black and white ones. And I remember seeing another kid wearing them and thinking like, I when I saw the commercials, I didn't think they were cool. And then I saw a kid wearing them and I was like, oh, wow, like those actually, they look cool. So I'm going to get a pair. I got the Larry Bird Converse weapons. Very nice. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit on on the mechanics of writing versus TV because you've done a lot of both. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in writing an article, when you're when you're doing maybe an interview or you get like a great anecdote or a a story that you want to kind of put early on, you know, maybe it's part of your lead or it's up top somewhere near the front. What what is that process like to unearth? You know, sometimes you don't get it right. You do an interview yeah. and it's just whatever, and I got to write this thing, but when you do get that one where you're like, yes, like this is great. What is that process like to elicit that moment from the person? Because I always wonder that when I read articles that I really enjoy and I see some little, it it could be what someone might feel is a trivial detail, but it really kind of is the ultimate springboard to launch a story. How do you go about pulling that out? Um, The way you describe it, I always, I always tell people it's like, so when I'm talking to somebody, you know, in a magazine, there's a pull quote, and that's always like the big text block that's like the important nut of the story or whatever. I always tell people, sometimes you'll be interviewing someone, and you'll see the words come out of their mouth as a pull quote. 
like you can almost like visibly see like big block words. I remember I interviewed Ron Artest one time, um, and I can't remember what it was he said, but he had some great quote. As soon as he said it, I was just I, I knew like I, oh this is awesome. Like this is a great little nut or something to build around. But I remember him saying that. Sometimes you you know you'll interview people, and they say something that's newsworthy, and you know like that. And as soon as they say it, you know like all right, well, that's going to go crazy out there. Like I, a couple of years ago, I interviewed Derek Rose when he was, uh, he just got traded to the Knicks and I was with three or four other people. We were all talking to him at this Adidas event. And he said in, in like the course of an interview, he was like, yeah, you know, people are talking about these super teams in the NBA, you know, now they're calling us one of the super teams. And I was like, are people really calling them a super team? Like, it doesn't seem like it, but as soon as he said it, I was like, all right, people are going to go crazy about that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to like take advantage of it or, or feel like I was exploiting it. So, I mean, I quoted him saying that in the context of a story, you know, in, in like the middle of a long interview, I had him saying it and sure enough, people grabbed it and ran with it. But I felt like I sort of didn't like, I wasn't exploited with it or anything like that. Like we just put it out there. He said it, you know, and he, he was serious about saying it another time. Um, when I was at slam, uh, this must've been, it was when Kevin Garnett was on the Timberwolves. And I was interviewing him, and we were, it was a shoe thing. It was an, um, uh, the Kicks magazine we did. And, you know, we would talk about shoes, then we would kind of go into other stuff and basketball and stuff. And as we were talking about stuff, he kept alluding to, like, sort of dancing around, um, asking for a trade from Minnesota. And he had never said this before. And I, and I, I didn't really want to push him on it because it sounded – he didn't come out and say it, but he kept kind of, like, hinting around about it and getting near it. And finally I was like, would you ask for a trade if it came to that? And he was like, well, if it came to it, I guess I'd have to. Like, he was clearly just waiting for me to, like, kind of yeah. ask the question so he could say it. Um, and finally I got the hint and asked the question, and we put it out there. And, you know, I, I talked to some people who knew him beforehand before we went public with the story. And I was like, just so you know, he said this and they were like, well, he knows what he's doing. You know, like you're not, you're not taking anything out of context. Like he clearly wanted you to, to get that out there. And um, so I don't know, as far as like, how do you elicit that stuff and how do you get someone to kind of say those things? Um, I always, my, my take on going into an interview is, is always, I, I try to read as much about the person as I can um, beforehand, watch whatever I can. And I make like a list of questions on, in a notebook, um, just, or just even like topics I want to hit on. Um, and, and then I make this initial list and then I'll do a second list where I kind of put them in an order, like as close to whatever order I feel like would go together in a conversation. And then off of those kind of topics, I'll write little sub questions, things like that. Um, you know, normally I have like that sheet there with me when I'm doing the interview with the people. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like also like it's, it, you get in trouble if you're trying to like kind of write a, a particular mm -hmm. angle before you do it. So I usually just try to like go into it as open-minded as I can and, and whatever they want to talk about, we'll talk about it. Uh, because if I'm like, had this idea, Oh, I'm going to write about this guy as, you know, the savior of the franchise and, and they don't want to talk about that. Well, you know then you're stuck and then you end up writing a story that doesn't make any sense. And then on the other side of it, the TV side of it, uh, that you've done some of this work as yeah. well. Right. And I just know, and I, I do more of game game calling, right? So if I'm thinking of like an open, right. I try to just give bullet points, right? I know we're going to talk about where we are and who we're playing and the matchups when you're, when you're, you know, on set or you're in the field, wherever you might be. And, you know, say someone says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to tee you up for what, yeah. what the Hawks have to do to be better or, or how can the Grizzlies turn it around? Do you think of that in like 
I know exactly what I'm going to say word for word. Do you have a sense of the vibe you're going for? And then just whatever comes out, how do you think of it? Um, let, let me first be clear. Like I've never taken a class of like how to do TV. I've never <laughs> taken a lesson on it. This has been something I just totally backed into. Sure, yeah. um, you know, when I was at Slam, yeah. um, they asked me to come on NBA TV on this weekly show called uh, The Jump. And it was me and David Aldridge were like the two, um, the Hall of Famer were the two like correspondents <laughs> who were on there every week. And so the, the very first show I ever did, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of the same as this. And I do the thing. And I went back and watched it on TV. And I noticed like, that when I wasn't talking, I was, I looked like I was like in a hostage video. I was just like, <laughs> and meanwhile, I noticed like David Aldridge was smiling and looked very nice when he wasn't talking. I was like, Oh, okay. So that's what you're supposed to do. So I basically learned how to do all this stuff by watching DA do this show. And I did got to do the show with him for three or four years and it was an incredible experience. But, um, talk about having a good person to learn from, you know, a, a guy who got into the hall of fame. So uh, I, I just kind of learned from that. And from what I can tell, most of the time, most producers on radio shows, TV, whatever, like they call you, they want you to come on. If you can talk for like 30 seconds without saying, um, you know, um, if you can just talk straight for 30 seconds without leaving gaps and without going off course too much, like that's kind of what they want. If you can make some sort of a joke or some sort of entertaining or interesting fact in the middle of that 30 seconds, you're gold. Like that's all you want. You want somebody who can talk for a little bit, maybe teach the people who are listening or, or watching a little fact they didn't know, maybe bring them into something. You know, that's kind of where my bread and butter is. Like I'm not the guy who's going to be like Mr. Analytics guy. Sure. Um, I have more of the guy who like actually like has relationships with some of the players and stuff like that. So I can kind of bring you behind the scenes that way. I can be funny about it. I can make a joke. Usually I try. Um, and so like, that's kind of what I do. I don't, I don't, um, I'm not really that often in the position where like, I had to do play by play on a couple of games uh, for summer league when I was on NBA TV, because they had me and Rick Fox and Seku Smith call some games, but literally the morning of the production meeting like i went into it thinking i was going to be the color commentator and i thought oh, i'll just make some funny jokes and we sat down like you know two hours before the game they're like, all right lang you're going to do play-by-play -play. and i'm like what like i don't know how to do play-by-play -play. but neither did rick or seku so i kind of had to do it so i you know they're handing me cards i'm like hey today at the samsung nba summer league make sure you sign up for the thing um and I, so i just tried to like give the score and then kind of get us into a conversation about stuff because like we're not calling games um I just feel like at the end of the day, you're there to entertain people and, and to help them have fun. And, you know, they care about who wins and who loses as much as anybody. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just try to talk and, and make it interesting and entertaining as much as I can. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, – and I think they discontinued them, but the players-only broadcast, right? Yeah. just be a bunch of former 100%. players. And it, it was a little more casual, right? Just kind of, hey, here's what's going on. We'll give you the score, and we're going to go back to – It's hard, you know. Like, it's really yeah. hard to do play-by-play. -play. Like, I, I've been watching games my entire life, and then all of a sudden they plunk me down and we're like, you got to do three games today. And you're like, oh, okay. I mean, summer league's even harder. I'm going to – uh, give myself a little wiggle room here because like you know the guys don't have names on the jerseys you haven't heard of half the guys they, they have different numbers than they have on the score sheet so like it was, it was super hard but uh it gave me a new respect for play-by-play -play guys definitely no look you, you you do it a few times and then you think twice before ever watching your favorite yeah. team and saying oh this guy's the worst or he doesn't yeah. it's like believe me there's as you know now there's a circus going on in your ears you know, as you try and get stuff out. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely some respect there. But but to your point, right? Being being ready for these opportunities, right? So it's like yeah. you don't know what you're going to get asked to do. Suddenly now you get this chance, and and it's an opportunity to to add to add another level of versatility, as you were talking about yeah. earlier. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's also just you know something else you can put on your resume. Like you want to be able to uh, have as many experiences as you can. I think for when you never know what the next experience is going to be, and and you never know what's going to be open the next time something comes open, and you know what's going to happen down the road. So um, I'm glad I did all that stuff. Uh, you know, I never I never thought I would. Yeah, I mean, even that morning when I woke up in Vegas, I did not think I'd be calling play by play on several NBA games on live television. But hey, look what happened. So. You're certainly totally immersed in things with the Grizz Gaming, with the Grizzlies. Yeah. Down the road, is there is there something else you want to get into after this or, you know, a thing you feel like you haven't gotten your hands on, maybe more cooking stuff, some other interest? I don't know. I mean, the cooking stuff, like, it's keeping me – I got to go make a video tonight. Like, it's keeping me busy as it is uh, doing the cooking stuff. Uh, I've thought about a cookbook or doing something like that at some point. Um but like I have the freedom right now to be involved in lots of different things and do different stuff. You know, like earlier today, I streamed myself playing video games for half an hour because we have to stream for our partners. So I like who else has a job where you get to come to work and play video games, you know, for, for half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, and you're talking to people online and then, yeah, I have to be on Twitter. And then like when the Grizzlies have games that we have a pregame and a postgame show that I have to do and be a part of, like, the job I have now, it's a lot of different jobs, but it's its really, for me, it's kind of perfect, and it fits lots of my interests, and they kind of give me the flexibility to identify things that I think would work and get to go after it, um, which which really I think is all anyone wants from, from their job. You hit on the excitement of John Morant being in Memphis, and I think the bubble and the playoffs was the perfect combo yeah. of the playing game for people to see more, more of him in a condensed amount of time. You know, unless you were – glued to the NCAA tournament, right? Or you watch some of the, some of the local games in Memphis. Maybe you weren't getting him as much as you got him in the last two weeks. You see him play all the time. What's, what's the, this is such a cliche, right? So I won't even say what's the ceiling, but what's his evolution like going forward? How, how, how great in your mind can he be? And we know you're certainly now a fan of the Grizzlies. I mean, look, he, he averaged basically 20 and 10 as a rookie. Um, he's so skinny that like his arm sleeve falls down. He, you know, it's, it's the thing is made of elastic and it can't stick to his arm and his <laughs> arm's so thin. Um, he still can't really hit a consistent three point shot. So like once that shot comes, like it's going to completely open everything up for, for everything else. I think all of us thought like, you know, he, he's younger, him and Jaron Jackson are the two youngest players on the team. So he came in 20 years old as a rookie, at point guard in the NBA. And you think, well, this is going to take some time. And the first couple of weeks of the season, like we were in a lot of games and then down the stretch, fourth quarter, last six minutes, they just couldn't close it because they don't know how to close games. There are a lot of young kids on this team. Um, but then all of a sudden, like it, it started turning and like we started winning games and he, he blocked Kyrie Irving at the buzzer to get a win. And uh, he had a game against Utah where he, he made this pass to Jay Crowder for a game winning three pointer down the stretch. And it just, things kept happening over and over. And you're kind of like, wow, like this, this guy, he gets it. Uh, you know, he always rises to the occasion too, like on the biggest stages, like against the, the bigger point guards, that's when he seems to have his best performances. Um, and so that playing game you mentioned, you know, it, it was the Grizzlies were without three of their like top eight players, Jaron Jackson, Justice Winslow, uh, Tyus Jones, all injured. So going into that thing, kind of with the one hand tied behind your back as it is against the red hot trailblazers who were just killing everybody. Um, and it comes down to that. Like it was an unbelievable game. I think we lost by three or four by at the final score, but Josh scored 35. I think it was, um, 
that was just unstoppable throughout the game. And so two days ago, I actually, I did this Q and a with Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach for grind city media. And, uh, I got Taylor on the phone. And the first thing I said was like, is it okay to feel good about that loss? <laughs> like, like I know we lost and we got knocked out and getting to play the playoffs, but all things considered, like going into that game without three of your best players, it's on national TV and to have that kind of performance from all those guys, like, it made like if you had to lose, like that was the way to do it. Like it makes you feel pretty good about the future. Uh, you know, not just Josh Aaron when he's healthy. Brandon Clark was unbelievable as a rookie this year. Taylor Jenkins is his first year as a head coach. Um, just such a young core and a young group of guys, but they've all bought in. Um, and it's really fun to see this city kind of buy into it too. You know, for so long, grit and grind was kind of the thing here. And then a lot of times when teams have to transition out of that into their next whatever it is, you don't really know what it's going to be. Um, so this year it was next-gen Grizz, and it, it just happened. Like, it clicked right away, and it was fun to see that happen and see the city kind of come alive and, and have Ja at the, at the center of it all. Yeah, just reading that Q&A and uh, even talking about the idea if they could have just gotten to Sunday, they yeah. liked where they were at as far as an energy level, even even being shorthanded. So certainly some optimism there for the future. Not to mention uh, they make the Vancouver throwbacks look They're perfect. awesome. So yeah, they're just they look fantastic. so good. <laughs> it's All funny. Right, final, I, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was to say, it's funny. I, I, I went to high school with Sharif Abdurrahim and, and nice. played with him. And I was talking to him about those uniforms this year. We did a story about them when they came out, and I called Sharif. And he was like, you know, what's funny is when those uniforms were out at the time, we all hated them. Nobody wanted to wear We used to ask the equipment manager if we could wear the black uh, alternate ones. And, and he said, but now, like, he found – his son found one of them in a box the other day and just went crazy because, like, now for some reason that teal is, like, the hottest thing in the world. So who knew? You know, it's strange that. And even even the old Raptors ones with the giant yeah. dinosaur, which I think people at the time were like, oh, I'm not sure yeah. – Everything that was once strange is now is now back again. Um, Lang, this has been been just a fun conversation. We're going to end with our with our same three questions. I'll okay. start off first uh, during this whole kind of pandemic time. What's what's something you've done for yourself lately? I'm going to take a breath because that's what I've done for myself. <laughs> like especially during this pandemic, like I, you know, it's been stressful to take care of your family and all that stuff. But I've had these other six kids here, you know, these six 20 year olds. Uh, between 20 and 24, I think, that I've had to kind of keep an eye on too um, and try my best to keep all them safe and, you know, keep them calm and all that stuff. Um, I try to do meditation every day if I can, try to do like eight to 10 minutes a day. Um, the other thing I, I found myself doing every single day, and I try to stick to it every day, is I try to do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day. Uh, you know, like today's Monday, like I can knock it out in probably seven, eight minutes. Yeah. Um, but by Sundays, it's, it's going to take you an hour to get through it if you can get through it without cheating and, and trying to find help on the internet. But those two things, like either being time to meditation or time to do the New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, those two things really just give me a minute to kind of like let my mind breathe and, and to think. Um, and I think like, uh, like as a content person and a person who's generating content, something like that, like thinking about stuff is one of the hardest uh, things that, to make time for. Like we don't make time to think, you know, we, we do, we're always doing, we're always doing things and keeping busy and watching things and consuming, but like finding the time to think about different things is where you get ideas from and where you figure out ways to approach different things and to tackle different topics. And, um, you know, earlier today, actually, my wife said something to me about, uh, I was, I told her I was leaving to come to the office and she was like, I'm tired of watching you play those video games. And as she said it, like it stuck in my head and I was like, all right, that's going to be a column at some point, like about video games. 
I don't know how. I don't know exactly what. I need to think about it. So I, 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 it's, I'm already chewing it around in my head and trying to figure out how do I spin this into a column. Uh, you know, my wife's tired of watching me play video games, but I'm talking to you because of video games. You know, like video games have given me an amazing yeah. life because of video games. And how do you balance those two things? And especially right now because there's like 12 great video games coming out in the next two weeks. But I'll figure that out at some point. But thinking and giving myself time to think is, is kind of my point there and it, trying to make time to do that. And, and also like the crossword, it sounds like you're not at the Mina Kimes expert level no, yet in New York. No, no, I, I tried. Like she's really good. I know Rob uh, King from ESPN also. On, we're friends on Instagram, and he does pretty quick. I can't do as fast as them, so I don't post my scores because I don't want to like put myself out there like that. Those are that's something I just like to do for myself, and it's fun to do. I'm 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 being uh, cheap and just doing the mini ones that are free yeah, on the New York yeah, Times yeah. app. That's that's all I do right now. Eventually, I'll graduate too. That's um, why. I, that's why I'm doing it for myself. Like you have to invest in the app because yeah, it's like 40 bucks or something for the year, 60 bucks. <laughs> but yeah. What's something you've done for someone else recently? Um, you know, I feel like a lot of my life is doing things for other people. Right. So for my family, my wife, my son, um, the gamers, like I'm constantly doing stuff for everybody else. Um, and what I try to do is try not to complain about it. Like I'll come downstairs and if the dishwasher needs to be emptied, I try to do it without saying, Oh, I got to do the dishwasher again. <laughs> you know, like I make dinner every single night at home and, and my wife doesn't cook. And if I don't do it, we're going to have to order out somewhere. And then that starts adding up. So that was why I started learning how to cook was because of that. So I feel like I, I'm just trying my best to, uh, I try my best to like kind of be there for other people and do what I can and not complain about it. I just want to do my best and, and kind of give everybody, um, give them a break too. Cause I know like we're all stressed out right now and everybody's kind of, everybody needs a vacation. <laughs> this is the uh, Southwest airlines part of the year. We all want to get away. And I just, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I hope that I can do that for other people is, is just provide a little bit of relief and a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a break for them. And then, and then the last of our three, what's good questions. And it sounds like you, you're able to create enough light moments, but what's, what's your outlet to turn to if you're looking to really laugh out loud about something. So, Usually at night, um, my wife goes to bed kind of early. My son goes to bed. He's, he's you know, second grade, so he goes to bed early. And I that's the time of the day that I have for myself is usually kind of late at night, as late as I can make, make myself stay up. And I'll play some video games, watch TV, that kind of thing. Um, I watch Jesus and Mero a lot on Showtime. Those guys crack me up. Um, but the other day, I actually found myself watching for about the millionth time um, – the 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 reel on YouTube from Step Brothers, the movie Step Brothers, the outtakes, the deleted <laughs> scenes, um, and I've I've seen the movie a million times and it's so funny, but the deleted scenes are even more hilarious. Um, so that was something that made me actually laugh out loud, even though I've seen it a hundred times. But just watching Will Smith and, and John Riley and cracking up along with them. There, there was a great article on The Ringer uh, not too long ago about about that summer when Step Brothers came out and how it was like this golden age of these great like comedies with a budget that you know they weren't sure if we'll ever see it again and yeah. Step Brothers just just holds up all these years later. It's unbelievable, right? Like I was watching uh, yesterday, uh, Land of the Lost was on cable, the okay. one with Will Will Ferrell in it. Yeah, and it's it's okay, but it, you know, like those the other one, Kicking and Screaming, was on where Will Ferrell's the soccer coach. Like yeah. that one's okay. Like I love Will Ferrell, but for some reason, Step Brothers is just like a home run. Like scene after scene is so funny, and 
Uh, one of the guys on my on the Grizz Gaming team, that was his favorite movie also, even though he's like from a younger generation. So I was telling him, I was like, you have to watch Seinfeld. Have you watched Seinfeld? And he's like, no. And I was like, get, curb your enthusiasm? No. I was like, you got to watch these shows. So yeah. I'm trying to, trying to teach the young ones. Now you have to do it. You have to do it. If, you know, if no one passes on these great movies, who will, right? Exactly. Um, hey, Lane, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, congrats on everything. It's been fun to kind of follow your journey, and good luck with Grizz Gaming and everything else. I appreciate you, Greg, and I, uh, thanks for making time for me. And, um, you know, I, if anyone has questions, whatever, I always tell them, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or whatever. I'm, I'm glad to, to help however I can and try to pay it forward however I can. Excellent. So look out for Lang Whitaker on Twitter. We'll happily answer your questions. <laughs>